CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. of combat with the brian campbell and as always when you hear the silver king's voice this is the professional wrestling edition i know we had bc on last week's show straight up off the top wanted to let you guys know he's legitimately under the weather he was supposed to be here this week for our preview of wrestle kingdom 14 uh, to discuss the final raw and smackdown of 2019 of the decade as it were and to discuss some of our best moments uh, best wrestlers and awards, for lack of a better term, from the 2010s. Unfortunately, BC is legitimately under the weather. Feel free to tweet him. Uh, send your best wishes to him. Obviously not great to be sick on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. But that being said, with me is the third man. I don't have the soundboard with me right now. But the man of many nicknames. I think that's the better nickname. Just the man of many nicknames. Many names. He's gone through two gimmick changes in the last two years, and we're going to see if we can make it three for three in 2020. That is Jack Crosby. Jack, welcome to the show. I am here, folks, and I'm ready to talk some nuptials. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're probably going to start with the Lana Lashley wedding. I don't think that's much of a surprise for anyone. Um, But just straight up off the top here, there's no plan for this show. Uh, Like I said, the expectation was that BC would be here. Um, So I really didn't have a plan coming into this. And we're just going to talk about wrestling for as long as we feel like it until I decide to stop the record and publish this uh, to to our platform here. So, Jack, you know, the 2010s of professional wrestling as a whole, you couldn't ask for more. Um, There were highlight moments that we're going to remember forever. There were, you know, bottom of the barrel basement moments that we're never going to forget for basically the same reasons. Um, For some people that watched Monday Night Raw, they felt this was it. They called this the Katie Vick moment of this decade. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, I'm talking about the Lana Lashley wedding. And I just happen to believe that people are vastly, vastly exaggerating how bad this was. Because off the top, if you're asking me, Adam, did you like it? The answer is no. It was a bad segment. It was poorly written. Um, it was poorly conceived and you guys all know my favorite word. It was convoluted, but to act like it is so abhorrent that it comes anywhere near the stratospheric level of necrophilia of Katie Vick is such an exaggeration that I can't even stand it as an argument. So we're going to break down what was bad about this segment. If there was anything redeeming about it whatsoever. But before we get into that, give me your overall take. Because you sent a tweet out 
uh, Monday night that, oh, you know, when this gets brought up, I might walk away from the microphone. Like, like almost you have some highbrow expectation of professional wrestling. So I need to hear your take watching that uh, about 12 hours ago as we're taping this. I couldn't get back to watching the fallout of the Orange Bowl fast enough. I did. I took that. My wife asked me, will you watch it with me? I said, all right. So I keep the football game on silent. I said, I'll watch it with you. I'll watch. Oh, my God. Look, let me clarify something. I'm in agreement with you right off the bat. Now, there was one person in particular who works for a different outlet that got that Katie Vick ball rolling. I saw that. Yeah. He exaggerates a lot, kind of a cat. I'm not going to BS, not calling it, but he, he, he's like a casual fan. He gets people riled up with his takes, whatever the case. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't as bad as necrophilia. Okay. It, like, it, it wasn't. Like, like people, you need to remember. And if you don't remember, go watch Katie Vick and re- remember the circumstances of what that segment was and watch it in its entirety and then sit back and think to yourself, was Monday night really that bad? All right. Triple H had sex with his dead body. <laughs> like, but, but. A woman who Kane, you know, murdered, basically. And raped? <laughs> yeah. Probably like, raped? Like, it's, it's, it was such an extreme. Like, it's, these are words that should not be spoken on a professional wrestling podcast when you're talking about Katie Vick. This was a marriage interrupted by a couple people. But let's not let's not compare them like they're apples and apples. That's all I'm trying to say. But there's layers. There's there's layers to my anger on that segment last night as a whole. Number one, I just thought it was poorly well done. It was poorly done. Right. It was poorly done from start. And I've expressed to you guys before. I am not the person. A lot, even though a lot of people, I love five star matches, but I enjoy wrestling for entertainment as well. None of that entertained me. At all last night. I just had a blank stare on my face the entire segment. That's the first thing. Like, just overall, it was poorly done. Convoluted, to steal a phrase from you. Number two. Liv Morgan. Here's what pisses me off, and I use that word in the most extreme tone as I can. Liv can stand on her own. Liv Morgan has developed a following, a fan base for herself that just continues to grow and grow and grow. They decide to shoehorn her into this drama angle for whatever reason. My thing is, you didn't have to do that with Olivia. These vignettes they were doing for her were good. and They had people hyped. Her work on the microphone, like she stood out to me as a presence that can be on her own, can thrive on her. She doesn't need this stuff when you brought her back. So and you went I, did this. I, I agree with you that the most offensive thing, and I don't use offensive in the uh, um, way to mean I was actually offended, my sensibilities, but the most offensive thing to me in that segment was the use of Liv Morgan, was the fact that you have all these vignettes for her, like you said, that are working, that are making you intrigued to see what is this new character going to be like who broke away from the riot squad and now, you know, is coming out on her own and becoming this new woman. And this is how you reintroduce her. The hopes and dreams that people had for her getting reintroduced were basically crushed by her being in this angle. Where I'm going to disagree with you is, dude, 
I think a lot of people are missing a couple things. Number one, she wasn't shoehorned into this angle. And I know that's just the term you use. I'm not saying that you believe this. This was the plan. Like, this has been a long-term story that Paul Heyman and probably Vince McMahon have been telling for months. They, uh, Lana and Lashley and, and Rusev, in interviews outside of the WWE sphere, when asked about this, have said, we know the end result. We know what the storyline is going, where this storyline is going, and we have all bought into it. I think with the injection of Liv Morgan, there is opportunity. But based on the wedding itself, I can't be positive-minded to think that they're going to capitalize on it. I mean, this is trash TV for trash TV's sake. This is somewhat the worst parts of the Attitude Era. We're in the middle of a women's evolution, and I'm not saying that every segment involving women has to be about propping them up in four- and five-star matches, just like not every segment with guys has to be about great matches. You can have you know, a segment with Dolph Ziggler stepping on, um, what's his name? Why am I forgetting? Uh, Otis's cake. Yeah. You know, you, you can have stuff like that in the realm of wrestling. And it's fine. But this was the some of the worst parts of the Attitude Era in 2019. When we have left that behind, you can do risque angles and a lesbian or a homosexual type of angle with women or with men or whatever you want without it being trashy. But this is... Very typical Paul Heyman booking. We saw this any long-term old-school watcher of ECW. Remember the Beulah angle with, like, Raven? This is very reminiscent of that, but, you know, cooled down a little bit for a network television audience in the year 2019. So I was not as offended at the terribleness of the segment as a whole as many were acting like it was a plight upon their wrestling fandom, like they can never watch WWE again, especially, Jack, when it came at the end of a three-hour show where the first two hours and 43 minutes, because that's that's where this started, were pretty freaking good. I mean, there were a couple things I did not like earlier in the show, but if I get 243 of what I got and I have to deal with 17 minutes of that, I'm not saying I want that every week, but I can accept that. It, it, it did not take me out of wrestling to say that, I'm never going to watch the show again because this one segment that I don't particularly care for was even worse than I thought it was going to be. I mean, you can point to the negatives here, right? Some people were praising the priest, reverend, uh, minister, whatever you want to call that guy. I thought he was awful. I thought it was overacted. The script didn't make sense. Him asking Bobby if he still wants to continue with the wedding, like five minutes into it. Actually, if anything, Adam, crazy. I'll be honest, the, 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 the efficient of the wedding was probably the only thing I enjoyed. I didn't. I didn't. I'll like be honest with you. Like his, his little mannerisms and his outbursts. That was the uh, probably. If now, I'm not. I'm not saying overly enjoyed. But yeah. if there was anything that I remotely liked about that, it was probably him. I didn't. I didn't really love that. I did like the Lana's first husband because it was a surprise. Like you're like, who is this guy? You're actually questioning it. But then once that got out of the way, to then bring Liv Morgan out and then bring Rusev out of the cake, which you knew he was in the cake the entire time. That- it just was – it was over and over and over indulgent of them, and it took something that, even if it was bad, had an opportunity to get us out of there and say, all right, that was bad and just move on, and it just made it worse and worse and worse. When Liv Morgan emerged from the back with the microphone, 
No one knew who she, either they didn't know who she was or they didn't care or they had already given up on the segment where it didn't work for them. If WWE expected her to come out to some big response from airing three vignettes over the course of a month, you're not going to get that for a woman who basically you told fans was the third most important person in the Riot Squad. And then your storyline for Liv, and I know I'm kind of going back and forth when I'm talking about this, but your storyline for Liv is that she was not not sexually, but attached to Ruby Riot and Sarah Logan in this group. And now when she's talking about finding herself and becoming her own woman and all this, it's all because she's attached to another woman, this time sexually and Lana. So it just, none of it really worked for me. But this is the one thing I'm going to say. Not everything WWE does and books is supposed to be uh, A-plus Emmy-winning television. They do things on purpose, not that are bad, but that are supposed to generate reactions from fans that are either negative in nature to get heel heat on someone, and Lana, for as bad as she has been throughout this entire time, gets heat. And you may not, you may think it's go away heat, Xbox heat. She gets heat. That's number one. Number two, they do things purposely on television to get people talking about their product. And what I will tell you is that this is being talked about. And when they continue this storyline, people are going to tune in to see what the hell they're going to do next. I haven't seen a reaction like that in a long time, though. As far as like, I think some people are, are checked out. They, they were. Let me pause you. Like a, do you rem- let me pause you. Do you remember the reaction to Dean Ambrose turning on Seth Rollins the same night Roman Reigns announced his leukemia? Yeah, and it's still trash. It was visceral. Still trash. People hated it. Was, it. it was still a bad move. Oh no, that was a great move. But I still disagree. I, I, I still disagree with it. No, that that's, a, one, that of, that's, one, that's one of the that's one of the best booking decisions Vince has made in a long time. But but it was a visceral reaction. So and that was a year ago. So this happens often. Continue. I'm sorry. No, that's but there's just there's so many. Plus, we gotta we have to we also have to bring up we'd be remiss. We we just went through a whole season of total divas, explaining us how Sonya Deville is the champion for the LGBTQ wrestlers. Now, her and Mandy both reacted because it it was reported last year, and then Total Divas confirmed it. They were going to do the lesbian angle with them. WWE told them, this is great. You both want to do it? Fine. Was the angle going to be that Sonya was into Mandy, but Mandy wasn't? They were going to just tease it for a long time, and, and that we didn't. We don't know what the end game was going to be because they cut it off at the legs right, right. before they could. Sonya was devastated. Mandy was devastated, and they both reacted on Twitter last night. Man, Mandy with the first tweet, and then Sonya Deville quote tweeting her saying, "I I know my friend." What What was the uh, uh, Mandy? Mandy just Mandy just had. Uh, she said something. I God forgive me. I can't remember. And then you, just, you keep talking. You keep talking. I'll find it. And then just like the straight face, like the like the straight face, and then Mandy just said, "I know my friend." Like they're both like because wrestling no, is she money. Said, she just said no words, and then yeah, she, no yeah, she was and, like, "I know." Like wrestling is a money making business, and let's say hypothetically, let's say for whatever reason, this live Lana um, lesbian angle takes off, and they benefit from it. You got to look at Sony and Mandy who say, "Now wait a minute." You told us we can't do something like this. And like again, Sonia is the picture. She's the 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 poster child, so to speak. 
and a great and a great and a great, and a great representative. representative. Certainly, she wanted um, to do this on TV and it got taken away from her. I could be wrong, but I think part of the reason that got stopped was because they were going to have the triple threat match with Oscar at WrestleMania, and when they decided to take the title off Oscar, they decided not to continue that storyline. Now that said, they obviously they're just starting now to start using Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose, but. I think that there was some reasoning for them doing it. I don't think they just stopped it because they didn't want to go there necessarily. But they have they, they have every right to be pissed off. And yeah, I don't I don't think that's wrong. But at the same I, time, different brands, different shows, different person leading the charge. I mean, and there there have been a lot of opinions on this on Twitter. I would like to give a shout out to one person in particular though, because I I've read probably hundreds since last night. Sure, independent wrestler Effie, um, openly gay. Had, in the in the last year, seeing his stock rise, he has his own WrestleMania show, Effie's Big Gay Brunch. Tickets sold out and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people went to him immediately to him and said, "What what did you think?" He I, he I thought handled it perfectly because he said, "Look, I don't mind stuff like this on TV." He said, I, "I'm for it, especially at a platform like WWE." However, the problem he had was with the way Lana is being positioned. It almost made her look like it. What this wasn't an angle to uh, glorify or shed some positive light on lesbians. The angle itself came across as Lana is such a whore that not only <laughs> she sleep with men, she sleep with women. And in all seriousness, like he he was serious in that. He goes, "That's how it came across, and that's what I don't like." It also comes across that she's trying to be with Lashley to hide the fact. That she it, had this thing going with Liv. But he, he, that that's even bigger yeah, in my opinion. His overall, which I and I, I didn't even think of, but it was a great point, and I'm glad people went to him to ask because that was a really great point. Where he's like, this, it, it just, it, it's not a positive light that's being shined on this. Where if you did say you did do something with, with like Sonya, like yeah, there would be angles on TV, but then she would make appearances and talk about it and talk about her real life and what's happening on TV. Whereas this, like he said, he said, Lana comes across as a horrible sleep with anyone, even, even a lesbian. And here's the other thing too, is they got into this storyline with people who couldn't necessarily handle it. So you go back to the Billy and Chuck wedding, right? It was Billy, Chuck and Bischoff, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Those are three people who were fully capable of delivering in that segment. You may not have loved the Billy and Chuck wedding, but man, when Bush, Bischoff pulls off that mask, like it's you're like, oh my god, this is hysterical. What's happening here, right? Um, in this case, you have Rusev, who legitimately is talented, who can get a reaction on the mic and is pretty solid. You have Lashley, whose strength is not the mic, and you have Lana, who has proven that she is. As one-dimensional of a speaker and a performer as has ever existed in WWE. You want to talk about back in the day, WWE being all TNA, so like a Sable, right, or a Stacey Keebler? Stacey Keebler could work a room. She could actually create reactions on the microphone, and she would do things in and around the ring and in backstage segments that got people to either like or hate her. Lana's issue is... And I don't want to be disparaging to anyone because she's getting paid to do a job. She's employed by the WWE. And like, I don't want to be rude. She doesn't really have any talent. No, she's not a good wrestler. And on the microphone, even though her dialogue is meant to draw heat, it is meant to make her look 
selfish, conceited, you know, all about herself. She delivers her lines exceedingly poorly. She forgets turns of phrase. For example, during this segment, she said that, like, she had more charisma in uh, uh, someone else had more charisma in their pinky than she did in her body, which is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. Um, She butchered lines. She kept repeating things. She was chanting Lana Day for no reason. And just to interrupt you for one second, what what really what's really strange to me when you say when you say stuff like that, though, is that WWE, for whatever reason, seems to like have growing confidence in her to the point where we just touched on it. They thought it was a good idea to put her out there with Kevin. And then Kevin murked her on the microphone. Murked her. Like she's instead of getting less time or being, or, or what WWE normally does when they see someone struggle, which is they, they reduce it to a two minute thing. That's rehearsed. They get it. And then they get them out. She's given more freedom on the microphone. And in this segment more than any time before. And you're right. It's just, She's not someone who I care about no. to care about this angle. If you had injected even Liv Morgan originally into this angle, maybe Liv broke up the marriage with Rusev and her and Rusev were going together. And then Lana got Lashley on her side. If it was the opposite and Liv Morgan was driving the angle, okay, that is something I could maybe see. But you, the main person that this angle is about is not a wrestler. She's not someone that's integral to storylines or anything that would really make anyone care about her. And on the entirety of the Raw roster, she's probably the lowest performer in terms of ability on the mic. And this is the person you're giving your final segment of 2019 to. The only, the only, I mean, the only good news maybe coming out of this is like, you know, it, it, while you try to live in the moment and enjoy the moment, you always have to look to the future. I think there's a future for Rusev after this is over. Oh, yeah, for sure. Bobby Lashley, always going to be a place for a guy that looks like Bobby Lashley, for better or worse. Always going to be a place for someone like him. Lana's done after this. She's done. Yeah, there's she, there's, there's nothing, nothing to do. do Maybe there's a plan. Maybe her, she and Rusev were talking about having kids, and this is a long-term storyline that ends with her being written off television for a period of time. I don't know, but you're right. They just re-signed Lana apparently to a five-year deal, and it's like, yeah, because she was going to make such such a dent at AEW, right? Well, but but forget that. What are you going to do with her for five years? I can't even imagine a, a five months or five weeks going forward from this, let alone five years. So, you know, look, I, like I said, I didn't, I, I I don't mean to be disparaging. I'm just being honest on my thoughts about her, but. The where I want to kind of wrap this up because we've gone on about 20 minutes talking about just this is I think there was a massive overreaction Monday night to this. Um, was it good? No, it was horrible. Was it reprehensible to the level of Katie Vick? Is it going to make me stop watching wrestling or stop watching Raw? No, it's not because again, what we're going to talk about right now is the two hours and 43 minutes of Raw that preceded it that were damn good television. And I kind of want to roll right into the other big moment, Jack from Monday night, which was the AJ Styles confrontation with Randy (laughs) in the ring. And I'm actually going to surprise people here because long-term listeners of this podcast know one of my favorite moments in WWE history is Sam and Jack at Mark Henry. I got a lot more left in the tank. I may have butchered that line, but that that is one of the greatest swerves, especially in a single segment in WWE history. You're not going to compare this to that, are you? Well... 
you have to because oh, it come was, on. No, because it was the exact same kind Especially of segment. We, we all know what Meltzer said. Now it's a work. Okay, they're but, working us. Uh, but I'm talking about the segment itself, not that it was good. Oh, this, no. is what I'm, this is what I'm getting to. Oh, please continue. So this was this was an identical segment to that. It was a veteran performer coming out to the ring and seeing saying that he was planning to step away. Uh, with Henry, it was retirement for his kids and, and so on and so forth. They wanted you to think this was an injury related long term absence akin to Daniel Bryan, Edge. You know, guys like that. And instead, what you had was Randy Orton coming out after being kayfabe injured on a live show. And what I immediately felt was he, who is very good on the mic, historically, he bungled it and AJ Styles bungled it. Because if you did not know about that injury and you did not read what Meltzer had to say, telling everyone it was kayfabe, which most people that watch WWE don't read they don't read Dave Meltzer, don't read rags on the internet. They watch the show, they go on with their lives. Okay. But if you so if you didn't know that, you have Randy Orton coming out to the ring, limping, completely overacting it, but limping, uh, with crutches like from 10 years ago. For some reason, a high, a high-end athlete who just re-signed with WWE doesn't have like those new good crutches that allow you to walk normally. He has these old pieces of crap. But Orton gets into the ring and he starts cutting up a, a depressed promo about how he's hurt. And he's going to be out for an extended period of time. But don't worry. Someone's going to get an RKO at WrestleMania, which is four months away. Yeah, that there. So right off the top, the storyline is Randy Orton, I'm going to be out for a long time. This is a really, really bad knee injury. And anyone who watches sports, anyone knows a legitimately bad knee injury, as bad as it can be, is like 12 to 14 months. If you're lucky, six to eight, nine, okay? And that's like the best of the best recoveries ever for a simple, clean, torn ACL, right? Um, but this guy is saying, my knee injury is so bad. I can't get into the ring. I have to have this random grip. Help me into the ring with my crutches and look pathetic and depressed. Randy Orton, long-term WWE legend. I, I, I am out for an extended period of time, but... Someone's going to get an RKO at WrestleMania. And then you have AJ Styles come out, who, like Randy, on the mic as a heel, is very good. He's not amazing, but he's very good. And AJ bungles it just as much as Randy does, because AJ comes out to the ring, and he repeats himself 17 times, and he basically just says, oh, well, if I have to wait until WrestleMania for you, then that's what I'll wait for. So the entire angle that is supposed to be about this guy being out for a long period of time, we already know it's not bad enough that it's going to keep him out past WrestleMania. And then, as telegraphed as can be, based on the fact that they're talking about him being back at WrestleMania, kicks out the crutch, and Orton, obviously healthy, RKO's him. The crowd popped, kind of. Um, It was buying into Randy's stuff at first. This is my issue with the WrestleMania part. It, they were buying into it. He was like getting them like, oh yeah, I'm going to be out for a long period of time. They're chanting for him. Everything's going great. And then he's like, yeah, but I'll be back potentially in four months. And he just lost the crowd and lost the segment there. So when you're trying to give a Mark Henry salmon jacket segment and instead you deliver kind of hurt Randy Orton hitting a normal RKO like he always does, you lost me. It was a good segment. I'm not saying it was bad television, 
but it failed. It could have been so much better than it was. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth with the the timeline thing where he was talking. I could be gone for so long, but WrestleMania, I'm like, dude, WrestleMania is like tomorrow. Like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Um, no, I, but wait, another. Wait, I, said, wait, I said I said four months. It's another, like, another. It's like it's literally exactly four months. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and but no, and another thing I, that I thought was a little too over the top when the uh, he compared it to Edge, and I'm like, all right, Randall, look here, buddy. That's what I'm saying. He almost died. You know, he had an injury that could have killed him. You're a well-conditioned 38, year, 38, 39-year-old athlete who a knee injury like this you could have fixed in six, seven months. Like, okay, like that was a little too over the top here. Uh, if, they, but, if he said, look, if he said, look, I dislocated my kneecap, I tore all three of my ligaments, I'm going to be out for yeah. a year. Aside from Boom. That's all. That's all we need. Yeah. Aside from those nitpicks, though, I thought the segment was good for what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to chew up time in the nine o'clock hour. It did that. It, it got a nice pop out of the people at the end because the fans, what I think is, is like, I'll always love Randy Orton, but it, it, like the fans are starting to come around on him again to a point like we're, we're hitting that appreciation point And he's just he's as cool as he's ever been, because yeah. we all know that there have been times where times that when, when I say times, I mean, like two or three years at a time where you could tell Randy's just packing it in. Randy's going to work and he's going home. Randy's at another stage in his career where he cares. And when Randy Orton cares, there's few that are better than him. Yeah. I think he's reached that transition point that so many do where he realized I've done everything and I'm going to get a couple more title runs. You know, I'm going to get one or two more opportunities. Although I think he's at like 13 or 14. Like he's up there. If we are to believe that the reports here's a, here's a, here's an underrated but, part of Randy Orton that's very dangerous. If we are to believe the the reports that he asked AEW for a Chris Jericho contract and they turned him down, Tony Khan said, "No, like we'll give you a lot of money, but no, you're not getting the Jericho deal." Randy Orton resigns with WWE. He has something to prove. Yeah, and if he's and, a pissed off Randy Orton that says, "You don't think I'm worth what you're paying Chris Jericho?" Watch this. Yeah, and if that is true, that's a horrible decision by AEW. He's if, easily he's easily worth Jericho, probably more because of his age. To be honest, yeah, with that's you. a. Ter- if Tony Khan did do that, that is a horrible idea. Yeah. But the, the point is, if that did happen, and now we have a Randy Orton that has to prove something that just wants to, he's going to do the best work of his career. Yeah, um, it just for me, he he's at that point in his career where I think he knows his job is now to put over other oh, yeah. people. They've already kind of pushed off the Ricochet storyline. I'm hoping they revisit that. I'm hoping what I've been seeing with Paul Heyman's Raws recently is they are they keep touching back to things that have happened previously. Um, and as long as they keep doing that, I'm okay with you know them going away from something and then them needing to team up again at some point. And then maybe like six months from now, Randy turns on him, turns heel again, and Ricochet is able to get over Orton. So it works for me. What I what I don't want is I, I want to see Orton Styles at Rumble. I want it at the Royal Rumble. I don't want this to go until Mania. I hope that those guys are in better programs that are that make more sense and are, and are longer term stories than that. Because yeah. this is a totally fine program to get us to Rumble, have a really good featured match between two guys, let them go in the Rumble also, or maybe don't, whatever the case. But I just coming you have to remember when you're when you're watching Raw, when I was watching Raw. I was watching it. I'm like, damn, this is a really good show. And then I saw that segment and I was just like, I know exactly what they're trying to do, you know, with the Mark Henry situation. And 
it, it just fell so short of that. And knowing Orton and Styles are both capable of so much more, the fact that they told the story wrong, that's that's the writer's fault. That's the booker's fault. That's Paul Heyman's fault that they didn't just make that work. And, and ma- you know what? Maybe that's who I'm blaming. The other thing I, I'll tell you is it seems like everyone on Raw now, not everyone, but a lot of people, are getting a lot more free reign with their lines and with their and and their promos. And if that was Randy's decision, then he made a legitimate mistake in the moment. Yeah, wh- whoever it was, it, it was a mistake because it was a little too over the top. Like it, like you know the the Mark Henry promo, everything he's you, there was a reason you bought into everything that he said. He was crying Be, because all of it was not too not anywhere close to being over the top. Right, it was truthful. You believed it. Like I said, like when Randy says, I'm going to be gone for like five years. This knee injury is so bad. <laughs> Someone's getting an RKO at WrestleMania. I was like, all right, dude. Okay. So again, right, right. Edge, <laughs> this is just as bad as what my friend Edge had to deal with. It's like, oh, you mean the neck injury that one round you could be dead? Like if you fall in that knee the wrong way, you're going to die? Daniel Bryan, who was gone for three years because of concussions. Like, and you're, and you're talking about, oh, this is a, a devastating end to my career, but I'll be back in four months. It, it just really did not work for me. Um, no, but, it wasn't it was it terrible, but I I enjoyed I enjoyed it for what it was. But yeah, there, there were some goof ups in it there. It was enjoyable. Like overall, if I'm grading it, it was like a C plus B minus. It wasn't terrible. I just found I, I just man, with Raw these days, like I have low expectations for SmackDown. I have Look, high man, if, I have if high this, expectations for Raw. That could have been an A segment. That's what I'm now again, about. like that that wedding stuff we're we're completely shelving to the side as we talk about everything. Like that doesn't even get lumped in with Raw this week. That right. that sits on an island on its own. Right. But if you know, a couple sentences. If we're critiquing just a couple sentences from AJ Styles and Randy Orton, that's a good thing. If we're just saying, well, you know, it's a, here's the thing. It's not a bad thing. Six months ago, they wouldn't even have even done a storyline like that. No. So the fact that they did the storyline is like, okay, you kind of got me here, but like, be, be better. Like, you have the opportunity to be better. Um, they will, and we're gonna, they will. And we're, and we're going to talk about a lot more actually good stuff that happened in WWE over the last couple of days. Before we do that, we got to do a quick word from our friends and sponsors. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, Jack, we're back. I kind of want to roll through the rest of what happened on Raw. We'll kind of work back to front. Here, um, they had Andrade, uh, you know, come out with his United States championship after making it seem earlier in the show like he wouldn't be there, which I thought was weird. They're like, they already announced the rematch with Rey Mysterio for next week. So I was like, oh, I guess we're not getting Andrade. And then luckily they did give us Andrade later in the show. They showed footage, which I thought was great, of the win over Mysterio at Madison Square Garden, which was a clean win. And I kind of wish they put that over a little bit more because they went right back on Raw to him needing Zelina Vega's help. That said, I really did like the idea that he's now the United States champion. He was getting really aggressive with the jobber, you know, pulling out, pulling off the um, cushioning outside the ring. I thought it was hysterical that he couldn't do it and had to drop yeah. a knee on it. That was really funny. Um, but he pulls that out. Ricochet comes out to be the good guy, Ricochet, to save the jobber and basically be like, hey, if you want to fight, come fight me. They had a good short match that was not meant to be the explosion between the two that I think we would love to see. In the at the Royal Rumble, perhaps or something like that. 
um, but they gave us a good piece of business. Zelina, I thought, did a really good job helping interfere without doing her normal shtick, which she does every single time. Um, and I think that putting Andrade as U.S. champion is a great move. Uh, I kind of wish that the match with Mysterio happened on television. I understand why they did it at, at MSG. And even though I don't love quick rematches, the fact that they're going to give us a rematch between these two on next week's Raw gives us the opportunity as the viewing audience, I hope, to see Andrade go over clean uh, or maybe with a little help, but ultimately hitting his finisher on, you know, the first Raw of 2020. No, if I had to make the call, Seth and AOP are going to smash Ray again, and then that gives the six man. That, the, the, then you have Ray Ray join Joe and Kevin. That's just but then that's they're interfering easy way to do it because they even brought it up last night how the beating yeah. that they gave Ray cost him the United States Championship. But they, they alluded the to reason, it. So. What's the reason of them though interfering in that match? Outside of just the hating Ray, because Seth is this false prophet that just does shit because his brain tells him to, or the. The voices in his head tell him to because he's he'll he'll decide that Ray needs a beatdown for so because he didn't learn the first time. Yeah, all it takes all it takes is something like Ray cutting a promo say earlier in the night before the match. Yeah, you know those bastards they did that to me and they told and Seth going oh bastard okay you didn't learn your lesson. I guess that's possible and And they certainly told it with the storyline earlier in the show which we can get to in one second. But Heyman has really shown a concerted effort and this is what you and I have been praising him for for five, six, seven weeks on this podcast to get over new talent on Raw. And he's done a really good job getting over Andrade, Buddy Murphy, Aleister Black, and others. Uh, Drew McIntyre as well, which we don't need to talk about that segment, but obviously two-on-one victory, great promo for McIntyre. He got over. Um, So I think it would be not the best booking, maybe a mistake for that to be the booking. But to be fair, I get your point because – in that opening segment overall, Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe teaming up and kind of trying to take down AOP, but obviously getting beat down a little bit until the chair got brought in. It was really good television. It was a really hot start to the show, Jack. And it was, it was the type of raw segment that really reminded me of the stuff I like used to like back in the day with Austin. Yes, but with other superstars as well, it was hardcore. It was gritty. Um, you know, CM Punk did note on Twitter, which I certainly agree with, the the whole idea of like sentons and flips off the top rope into a group of 40 people waiting for you. It's completely overdone. But in the chaos of what went down, it was actually a pretty decent spot. So I love that opening segment, Jack. And the I, what I liked even more than that segment was the promo in the backstage area, which was clearly their own words of Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe just <laughs> being like, hey, you know what? We're a couple badasses, and we're going to team up, and we're not going to take this. It feels good to have Samoa Joe back. Kevin Owens feels better in this type of gimmick than the corny everyman, which is what they were kind of trying to make him into. It really, really worked for me. Um, did, is there anything that you kind of want to poke a hole in with any of that? With any, no, poke a hole? No. I, what I like is it could, have been, it could have been very simple to have Seth and AOP spend weeks just running roughshod over the the company, which is, you know, traditional. But I like how this early in the game, you put together a super team of Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens that you know could stand toe-to-toe with these three guys. And then maybe you add in a Rey Mysterio. It, it makes them look like legitimate threats. It, more so AOP, because they're the ones who have to, like Seth Rollins is Seth Rollins. 
He's established. The goal here is to make AOP look like the big deals that we knew they should have been all on. That's the that's more so the end game here with this. So right now, they look like bigger deals just being associated with guys like Kevin and Joe. And then, like again, maybe a Ray. No, I, I love it so far. I have nothing bad to say about this. Yeah, it was re- it was really, really solid. Um, and I'm just really excited to see what they do. It, it does seem like we may get a six-man at the Rumble, potentially, with uh, Ray Mysterio, like you said, uh, you know, Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe against Seth Rollins and the AOP. And when you get something like that, that's a good opportunity for the quote-unquote real team to go over, which would be a nice win for Rollins and AOP and set some stuff up down the line. Of course, they could also just do, you know, Rollins-Owens, which is possible as well, and save that six-man for maybe the go-home Raw or two weeks before or something like that. But I am very excited to see what they do with all of that. Uh, we already mentioned McIntyre winning the two-on-one handicap match and the good promo. thought that was solid. I liked that they built up the OC. They had the Street Profits come out and build up the OC as the greatest tag team in the world, which is the best use of this blood money in the sand title that they've actually done. Obviously, it was a year-long storyline basically with Shane McMahon but with the OC they actually took a team that they had buried by their booking WWE and given them something to rally behind they got them some wins they got them some clout and then you have the Street Profits who had been kind of 50-50 booked for the most part but you give them the opportunity to win this match Um, I thought it was a, a damn good match nothing spectacular but a great feature spot for the Profits the nitpick I'm gonna have is this I, I loved the concept of their backstage promo, okay? I thought it was really smart that, you know, you have Dawkins talking about the multiverse and, and delivering this promo like he's some MIT graduate, and it's like, where the hell did that come from? But if you're going to do that, you have to nail it. You have to hit every proper term. You can script it. I'm fine with you scripting it. You have to absolutely kill it. And he forgot, like, two-thirds of the promo, and... I don't want to crap on him because it was probably really tough. And if you put me in that situation, I don't know that I could deliver it, even though I like to talk and I'm pretty decent at memorizing. But if you're going to do that promo, you got to know it cold. He didn't. It fell apart. It took something that was super hot and could have been really, really, really funny. And it just made it like a botch. Yeah. They try, but the the good news is that like the Street Profits are still in the early stages of their popularity where, you know, Get away it, it, it wasn't it wasn't great, but we can move on from it. And it does it's not gonna hurt them. But it wasn't a great idea. They tried it, didn't work. Just don't do it again. It could have been cool. It could have been, been cool. Just don't do it again. Let, yeah, they they don't do that again. Uh let these guys cut promos that they are comfortable cutting. Yeah, you know, they don't need to be scripted. They're fine. Uh, let them use what brought what brought them to the dance. Yeah, for sure. Now the women's picture, you had Charlotte Flair come out, kind of declare she's the first entrant in the women's Royal Rumble, beats Natalia. For me, pretty ho-hum, nothing hugely positive, nothing massively negative. Um, Charlotte's in this weird, you know, middle ground between heel and face where people like her because she's a flair and because she has good matches, but they also hate her because she gets overly pushed. Um, I think any situation where you're on the raw brand and you have Becky and Asuka, which we'll talk about in 30 seconds, um, as your headlining match for the Royal Rumble – you need to take your number two woman and have her make a declaration for the Royal Rumble. That's how it works. So I totally understood what they did, but I just kind of feel like she's in this weird middle ground right now. Becky's so strong. They decided to put them both on the same brand that how do you book Charlotte strong without having her go head to head for the title with Becky? And I think that's what Paul Heyman and, and the writers are really trying to figure out right now. 
It's tough because, you know, she's there declaring. And I had this moment where I looked at the the screen while she was on there. And I don't know why. I kind of thought to myself, you can't have her lose this Rumble this year. Like, even though thir- I'm looking at her and I'm like, she can't lose. Uh, this guy. I don't know. What if we get a final two of uh, Banks and Becky and uh, Flair? Charlotte. You, it's just... And plus, I, I don't know if it's just part of me that thinks in the back of my head they're going to have to give her this accolade sooner or later among everything else she has. So they might be in a position where they say, all right, look, we got to get this out of the way. Give uh, Oscar to Becky again. Bailey's going to face Lacey. Uh, you just give it to Charlotte. I, I, I don't know what it may can, be. I, can, maybe I tell you who, can I tell you who's going to win the Women's Royal Rumble? Please. Nia Jax. I will. I don't Nia, want to be on that post show. Nia Jax will win the Women's Royal Rumble, and Becky will beg her to challenge her at WrestleMania. I please, Adam, stop. And we'll get and and their oh, book God. for WrestleMania. Their oh. book for WrestleMania is going to be Becky Lynch getting Thank her you. getting her revenge oh. on Nia Jax for breaking her face because she never actually got the revenge. She's oh, on the, she's no on one the cares. Revenge, she's on the revenge tour. She's going to fight Oscar at Royal Rumble, which we'll talk about right now. She's going to get over Oscar. They're going to give Becky Lynch a one-year title reign with the Raw Women's Championship. They're, she's going to beat Jax, and then either the next night on Raw or the next pay-per-view or whatever the case, Lynch will drop the title. No. No. Sorry. No. Sorry. Stop it. That's a, but okay, tell me I'm wrong then. Your theory of the, the whole re- – here's the thing. No one gives a shit about the revenge anymore. With Oscar, yes. With Naya, uh-uh. No, when, don't when care. Playing, here's the thing. When they start playing back the promos and the – not yeah. the promos, the clips, the footage, um, and the aggression, and Becky's able to cut promos on her, I think it's – I don't know that it's going to work, but I think it's their plan. Nah. No, we're going to have to find it. Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler, or Becky Ronda. Oh, look, I, hey, it's going to be one of those. I want to clar- clarify. Wait, I want to clarify. I don't want this to happen. <laughs> like, I, Baszler is probably the best booking. Having Baszler win the Rumble is probably a really good move. Or, yeah, anybody, anybody, yeah. come back is good too. You never beat me one on one, Becky. Two month run, three month run up until WrestleMania. That is a far better match. But, where's Nia Jax? When's she coming back? She's, she's apparently training down in Orlando. It makes too much sense to me. Yeah, because now that well, now that you're throwing out Royal Rumble picks, one of the things I'm interested to see because because we're they didn't really have a show, so we're not going to talk about them this week. But when NXT gets back on a roll, I, I, if we don't see Shayna, which I again, like I said, I hope we don't. I hope her blasting image is her laying down for Rhea, and that's it. that's the last we see of Shayna Baszler in NXT. It really should. But, be. It, but if we don't see her on Raw or SmackDown either, as time goes by, that's my pick to win the Women's Royal Rumble. If we don't see her. Which, look, I always tell, like, I get work is work, but there's nothing with these surprises of telling someone like Shayna, go on a one-month vacation. Go sit home, enjoy yourself. Rest up. We'll see yeah. you in Houston. And uh, then. I am really curious to see, see the Women's Royal Rumble, even in previous years, they've used a lot of NXT talent. It is a really good spot where you can say 10 Raw, 10 SmackDown, 10 NXT. I think they're going to, yeah. Boom. And, and that's easy. And you can I do that. I think they're going to. Uh, and a couple legends, you know, like, maybe it's not 10, 10, 10, but superstars from all three. And then you add a legend here or there. It's also the, an easy, the, easy way to to get them up onto the quote unquote main roster too. If is. you have an NXT person win it, the the men's Royal Rumble is going to be far more difficult to do that this year because 
having 30 in the past with split brands was fine. 15 from each. Again, a couple, you know, not exactly 15, a couple legends mixed in, returners, whatever. It worked. But if you only use 10 superstars, let's say, or eight, let's say, from Ross Smackdown and NXT, there is a ton of people that won't be in the Royal Rumble. So I'm going to be very curious to see if they expand the Men's Royal Rumble to 40, if they... Um, oh, no, not the 40. If they, don't, if they don't specify where the wrestlers are coming from, I'm going to be very curious. Well, don't forget, the other one of them was 50, so... <laughs> the 50 was brutal 40 was i was okay with 40 was fine no i didn't even like 50 the 40 was well here see i see i i disagree i think if you do 10 10 and 10 yes some people are going to miss out on the rumble but what i also think that creates is more is more legitimate contenders to win because you're gonna you're gonna be forced to take your top stars and then plus you're gonna have those few guys like a say a keith lee or a matt riddle from or even an adam cole from NXT that you're going to say, okay, yeah, so-and-so from Ross, so-and-so from SmackDown could win this, but, oh, man, Keith, I could see Keith, I could see Adam Cole pulling a Shawn Michaels. It, if you do that, legitimate. if you do that, I agree. And, you know, everything that you, myself, BC, we always talk about when it comes to tournaments and things in WWE, we want qualifying matches. Like, we want guys to earn their way in. So if you have it so that on Raw, you have 20 matches over the course of, Three weeks, and again, we're, it's, we're far too late for this to happen, but where uh, pe- people qualify for their spots in the Royal Rumble, they win singles matches and get in the Royal Rumble, that's a fantastic move. Or maybe you have five that are picked uh, by USA Network, if you want to say that, and then you have five qualifying matches for the other five spots. Um, but my point is, that would be fine, because then people would earn their way in, and these people there would all deserve to be there. But what I always hate about the Royal Rumble is... Yes, you need a couple people who can just get thrown out. I totally get it. But when you have a 30-man Royal Rumble and two separate entries are like Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, it it, it insults me because there are so many wrestlers you know, in your company who should be in that match that should actually deserve to, in kayfabe, get that opportunity. Like Eric Rowan, you could see him getting left out. I'm, he won't be, but you could see it, right? He actually deserves to be in there because yeah. he's dominating and no one wants to fight him. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's funny because like we're at a point where we have a company like AEW that builds on win-loss records, right? And now, well, we, well, the majority of I don't at least like authority figures. You know, one thing I, it's one thing I always wanted to see, like when these guys like a Ryder and Hawkins, I'm declaring for the Royal Rumble. All I ever wanted to see was like the general manager of the show at the time come up to them and go, no, you're not. And when they go, well, why? Well, because last week you lost to so-and-so. Last week, what I- makes you... Well, why should we give you an opportunity at the main event of WrestleMania? Get out of here. I could be wrong, but I believe WWE's done that with Stephanie McMahon before and other authority figures. I believe it's happened where someone's declared for something and they've come back and, or challenged for a title and the person accepted and they're like, oh, hold on a second. You don't deserve that title shot. You got to be in something else to get there. So it has happened, but not in the way that you're really talking about where it's like, Hey, the, someone. This person really doesn't deserve it, and it's kind of a comedy no, I, angle. I just wanted like, to you don't like, deserve to be in there. Why are you doing this? Yeah. You, no, you're not. No, I'm with you on that. Um, so quickly, uh, Becky Lynch obviously challenged Oscar uh, for the Raw Women's Championship at Royal Rumble. Great booking. I can't wait for the match. It's going to be awesome. Uh, one year to the day. Obviously, it's it's really cool. Um, but the the contract storyline that my contract's up soon, and yeah, I'm using that as leverage to get this title match. 
like we all know she just resigned like a year ago. And again, I know that I just said this earlier, so I'm not being contradictory. I know that the WWE audience does not read the dirt sheets, the main audience, and, and they don't know these things. But to believe that Becky would be a free agent and it's that like, yeah. and that all of a sudden WWE is now protecting her because she's the champion versus being completely against her when she was the challenger. It, it doesn't make a lot of kayfabe sense to me. The good yeah. news is she makes any promo she's in work. And, you know, Asuka being in this match, it's good storytelling. I'm excited to see it. So, yeah, that I'm was kind of left it go. That was most certainly WWE doing a wink, wink, ha ha to everything that's going on in today's day and age with, you know, so-and-so's right. contract is up. So-and-so just signed a five-year contract. That was their way of saying, ha ha, Becky Lynch's contract is up. Like, all right, you didn't have to go that far. But like you said, where Becky benefits, though, is she's such a good promo that she can turn it. She can turn the chicken shit into chicken salad. Yeah, absolutely. You, you and know, where, no, and where we're going to end Raw is where the show basically started. All right, it's not the same siren as BC, but uh, siren match, Alistair Black against Buddy Murphy. There's not even analysis I need to do because all I need to tell you is if you didn't see this match for any reason, stop, pause the podcast, turn on your DVR, open up Raw, and watch this damn thing. I watched it twice. Man, there is an investment from Paul Heyman and from WWE, primarily in Alistair Black, which is great. Because he is the, as of right now, character development-wise, he is the one who has the most potential. But man, Buddy Murphy looked like a freaking superstar, a real superstar, not a quote-unquote superstar, in that match. He has a hugely bright future, and I love, and I don't think I've ever seen this. You tell me if I'm wrong. Aleister Black used two black masses to take him down. I don't ever remember that. This guy's been in title matches. He's fought some of the baddest dudes in NXT. Two black masses to win. He was the right guy to go over. We all want Buddy Murphy to start winning matches. Me and BC, more than anyone, huge Buddy Murphy fans. But I'm okay with him losing to Aleister Black. It's okay. Couple things here, yeah. First, I'll start with that. Like, And we said this when this started. Like, I said, Buddy Murphy is not going to lose anything out of this. Right. Even if he loses a couple times, which he did. He's not going to lose anything out of this. And if anything... The two black masks thing was perfect because it was Alistair Black showing respect in a way like, I have to do two of these, something he's never done, but I have to do two of these to make sure this son of a bitch stays down. Like, I have to be better safe than sorry. So, like, Buddy Murphy, no. there's a, his yeah. His ceiling is still, man. But Alistair Black... I am. I think after last night, I am convinced. Like Paul Heyman is doing a great job of building up the mid card, and I said a few weeks ago on this show. But the, if we're talking about the mid card, and if there's one cherry on top that's being groomed, it's Alistair over Ricochet, over Andrade, over it's it's clearly Alistair Black. I'm more convinced than ever that Alistair Black is being built into a person. That when the time comes and he's standing across from Brock Lesnar, people are going to buy into the fact Aleister Black is going to kick this asshole's head off and we yeah. can't wait to see it. I said, a fool, we're, I think we're going back a couple months ago when we were 
shooting back and forth, we talked about the Royal Rumble, and I told you, I said, I think Aleister Black could be groomed as the men's Royal Rumble winner. I think I'm more convinced of that right now. He's my pick from Ron. I have one from SmackDown I'll give later because he was a significant part of SmackDown. So Aleister Black, is he is. He's being built up as someone that we can believe can beat Brock Lesnar. He, he is in every way a legitimate main eventer. And I think for people that were so concerned about the, which I did not think they were stupid, but people thought the come pick a fight with me stuff was stupid. I, I didn't mind it. It was different. I never ever had a problem with it. I didn't think it was stupid. I just didn't think it was necessary. You, you get what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but they were trying to get him on TV and they didn't have storyline work for him. They didn't have matches for him and they, they were trying to do something. But now what you're seeing with Aleister Black is is – you're not going to get the exact NXT version of any of these guys when they get up to the WWE proper. Um, but you're seeing the main roster version of Aleister Black, and it's freaking good. It, it was. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. So, uh, you know, I, we we talked extensively, uh, Jack, uh, weeks ago about Paul Heyman um, conditioning. Actually, I think this was something that I was saying, that they were putting on really good matches on Raw. And for three or four weeks in a row, the crowd was not reacting to them. They would pop big spots, flips, just like, you know, a, a Topi yeah. Suicide, anything like that. Uh, but they weren't really popping for the work. And it, I think it even went back further than four weeks. It's probably six or eight weeks at this point. It's been an extended period of time where Heyman has been allowing guys to go out and put on quality matches. And the fan response hasn't been there. And we were disappointed by it. The fan response was there. Now, it could have just been this crowd. And I don't know where Raw was. So sorry, but... Credit to wherever it was. The crowd was great all night. Yeah, um, yeah they were. Above, above average at minimum to very good to great. For this match, they were great. They recognized that they were seeing greatness in front of them. They popped at all of the right spots, not just the flips and the dives and everything. And they made that match, by the time it reached its climax, feel as big as it actually was. They made it feel like it was the main event of the show when it, when it opened the show. So you got to give credit to the crowd. I got to give credit to Heyman and the people at Raw for sticking with the high-quality wrestling because this is the payoff. If you can start getting these types of matches twice, I'm not asking for yeah. every match. I'm not asking for NXT. But if you give me two of these on a Raw and one of these every week on a SmackDown, you're satisfying me as a wrestling fan. And he he is. He's doing a good job because we do live in an era where a lot of wrestling fans are – just they want to see good in-ring work and paul is doing a very good job of even teaching the casual audience at these cities they go to pro like wrestling matters like we'll give you the campy stuff we'll give you the weddings but we're also going to show you two world-class athletes like alistair black and buddy murphy but that's what matters in today's world this is what a lot of people buzz about when it comes to pro wrestling and he just we said at the draft, they loaded the Rob roster up with the talent, and it's being put to perfect use. It really is. And I think, again, notwithstanding the final segment, which we already discussed, uh, this was another feather in Raw's cap and a really strong way in totality for that main and, show to end 20. And they loaded up next week's show. Jeez. They did. They did give us a lot to kind of think about and prepare for to open 2020, which again is what you kind of want. You always want one raw a month or one raw every six weeks between pay-per-views to feel a little bit more special. 
and the New Year's edition, if you want to call it that, of Raw legitimately feels like it's going to be a special show. And they again, there was a hiccup a couple weeks ago. Didn't love the episode. But we're going back now two months since this switch. And I have found, you know, seven of eight Raws to be really, really high quality, regardless of individual segments we didn't like. So that's Raw Jack. And, you know, SmackDown on Friday, we've been giving it a lot of criticism for the last few weeks, basically saying it's a show that you really don't need to watch. And who is it for? Um, I think that had been true. I don't think we've been exaggerating that in the past. But I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I enjoyed SmackDown on Friday night. I thought it was top to bottom, probably the strongest episode since the debut on Fox. It There was a storyline throughout the show. There were some really good matches. I liked what they did with the women. I'm not saying it was great. It didn't live up to the Raw level by any means. Uh, but I did find positives to take away from Friday night. It it wasn't as bad as it usually was, I'll tell you that, which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I can be honest with you. Like SmackDown had me, has me so just down on it, but no, it, it was enjoyable. Thanks in large part to Daniel Bryan. I mean, what they're doing with him right now is just, it's phenomenal what they're doing with him. Uh, I didn't hate the the whole stuff with Corbin as much as, as a lot of other people did. And that's not just me being the noted Baron Corbin fan. I thought it was it was an actual fun way to go about the two hours. The, the, the in and out, the in and out, and then finally the boom, out for good. I, I was okay with the back and forth of whether he was going to be in the match and using Roman Reigns' attendance or lack thereof in the, in the arena as the reason for that. I thought that was pretty smart. But actually starting the match three times or being about to start the match three times, that annoyed me. It was just, I need, when I'm going to give you two hours of television time, I need you to deliver more than just that. I mean, we basically got four matches on the entire show in two hours. And I'm not saying that's the end of the world necessarily, but some some of them have better be somewhat consequential. And I really didn't necessarily feel like they were. Um, but the main event, you know, the right guy won, Daniel Bryan winning. Uh, and they delivered, man. And The Miz, holy <sighs> crap. I have been watching this guy for a long ass time. And I'm not saying he's never had a good match because he's done some, he's done okay. I don't think I've ever enjoyed his wrestling more in a single match than I did in the main event of SmackDown. What the hell got into this guy? That was awesome. <laughs> And of course, yeah, naturally everything, no matter who you are, when you're in the ring with Brian, Brian, get, Brian gets a good portion of the credit, rightfully so. But no, Miz did hold his own in there very, very well. One of the better matches I've seen him put on. That was enjoyable for me. I mean, they, like I said, when I had to fill in to do the SmackDown recap a few weeks ago, it's it felt a little forced to th- throw Corbin into this mix so quickly, like it was just like, just came out of nowhere where you could have just left it. Brian and Miz, which would have probably made more sense in the end, but no, coming down to those two and the fit, the crowd was hot for the finish. When Brian locked it, they were hot for that finish. The crowd was insanely hot for it. And Miz kind of feels like to me, you remember the end of John Cena's run as a full-time performer when he kind of was like, look, I'm sick of people saying I can't wrestle and I'm going to learn new things and I'm going to, I'm going to do cool stuff and I'm going to have some good matches. Well, I think Miz came out of that Wyatt match with a lot of criticism, right? Cause we know the, the, the fiend matches are not good. 
And it's not anyone's fault, really. But Bray as a performer is slow. And the Fiend character is not going to deliver a five-star match. It's just, it's not how it works. He's not a mat wrestler. It's, it's, yeah. That's not how it's going to go. So that he got, he came out of that match with a lot of criticism on both of them, to be fair. And I think he was kind of just like, F it. Let's, let's mess around and get a triple double here and put on an awesome main event. And you know that you and I actually are a couple of the very few true Baron Corbin defenders. He's way better than he gets credit for. He's very good in the ring. He's entertaining. Those three worked great. Uh, when Corbin got eliminated kind of, and it was Brian and Miz. It was hot, like you said. The finish was great. The crowd popped massively. And again, if I'm going to give credit to the Raw crowd, I'm going to give credit to the SmackDown crowd because they didn't just pop for that. They were great during the Sasha Banks, Bailey, Lacey Evans situation. And they were even better, maybe the best of the entire night, during the six-man tag to open the show, which, you know, you want to talk about... That's like what I want to talk Baron about. Baron Corbin, uh, not Baron Corbin, Braun Strowman That's who being I want to thrown talk into something, kind of. Right. And New Day kind of getting thrown into this weird mix and WWE's reliance on stupid six man tag matches that don't have any relevance. This was kind of the opposite. There was a decent storyline reason for it to happen. And they delivered a sick match. Not good. It was a sick match. Uh, Corbin getting over to that degree teamed with New Day. Uh, Cesaro and Nakamura being given the chance to shine. Sami Zayn getting in the ring. We haven't seen that in a long time. It was just a really nice blend of six dudes who can legit work. The right people went over. I didn't really find much of a fault with it at all. And I, some people were angry that Strowman did the dance at the end. Oh, screw it's off. It's freaking professional wrestling. Like, 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 did Kenny Omega wearing a Rick and Morty mask ruin him? No. Braun Strowman dancing doesn't ruin him. Give me a break. No, that, that's like, but I said, that's what I, that's what I really wanted to talk about. Can we talk about how over like Rover Braun Strowman is with these fans anymore? Look, yeah. WWE, here's the thing. If you want to give him his Royal Rumble win, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. 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 Get it out of the way. Because Braun, not just Friday, he's picking up steam again with these people that are believing in him. And we, we've seen what happens when people believe in Braun Strowman. Don't crush their hopes and dreams this time. Just don't do it. If you're gonna if you're gonna show that little bit of a push where you're gonna give people hope, go ahead and do it because I don't think Braun Strowman winning in Houston would get a negative reaction in that stadium by any means. It wouldn't, but if they are going to push Braun Strowman, they have to move on just like they have with Seth Rollins from get these hands. It's a good catchphrase. I don't mind him using it, but for a too long, his entire character has been that phrase and. If you are going to have Braun win the Royal Rumble, it would make sense that his opponent would be The Fiend. And instead of the story that we're expecting, which is the continuation of anyone but you, Roman, we get Braun when he turned on the Wyatt family. And that's the story that we tell at WrestleMania. I'm fine with that if that's the direction they yeah. want to go. And, and it would be a great push for Braun to be that this is the one guy that The Fiend can't take down. After all these years of Braun losing to Lesnar and Reigns and every big match he's in, although he did beat Reigns. I got that wrong. But um, losing almost all of these big matches, to have him go over The Fiend is a huge cement that this is a guy that they're going to build around and it's not just going to be a new age big show. That said, I I just don't think he's winning the Royal Rumble. I I don't, again, I don't think he is, but I'm just saying if they want to do it, 
do it, do it yeah. now. Do it because you know, I, part of me even I, I even said to myself, I said, Jack, how could you say that? Because you sit here on this show every week pumping up Roman and Bray for WrestleMania. But then I'm thinking, nope, you could spare some time. You could do Roman and Bray at SummerSlam. It's a one-year anniversary of The Fiends emerging. Like, you could do that if you want. And if you want to do Braun and Bray at WrestleMania, you could. You, you theoretically could. It, it, they could if they want to hold off Reigns. And I, I like what they've done by not injecting him into title pictures and they're getting the fans legitimately behind him and it's cool. If they want to hold that off and let Strowman get his moment in the sun and have Reigns even win the title off Strowman at some point, which is fine. Which is an um, callback, which would be great. Which would be great. And then have the Fiend take it off Roman, let's say at SummerSlam, and Roman have to fight back and figure out a way over the next few months to beat the Fiend. That is... Totally fine. The fans will buy into it, but they are in a great spot with Roman Reigns right now. It has to be their number one priority to not overbook Roman Reigns. And if that means not throwing him into WrestleMania right away, although to be fair in Tampa, Florida, he would get a really good reaction. This isn't New York. You know, this, this isn't, um, Chicago or something like that. This is probably the right time to push Roman. But if they don't want to do that and they feel like they have another, let's say four to six months past mania where they want to wait until they put the title back on him, then that's great because the SmackDown, not much is going really, really right. Okay. But the protection of Roman Reigns from being overbooked and overpushed has been the best. One of the best things WWE has done all year since he's returned from leukemia and they got to keep doing that. They can't screw that up. It would be a huge mistake because they are building Reigns right now into the store they wanted him to be three years ago. Yeah, they, they've, but then again, then you hit a point. Like we just talked about Charlotte Flair. Sometimes there are a few superstars that they are just like the Charlottes and the Romans where they've become such big stars almost to their detriment where it's, you know, you pull them back from the top title picture, but then as time goes on, you're like, well, all right, though, but, they're too big of a star to be doing that. You got to get them back in the title picture. Like they yeah. did the same thing with Charlotte. It's like, but now it's like, well, you know, I don't want to see Charlotte wrestle Natty anymore. I want to see Charlotte wrestle Becky. And then, yeah, you get to a point where WWE is like, well, what do you want? And you're like, well, well, look, we're wrestling fans. We don't know what we but, want. We want different things. But eventually we'll hit a point where Roman's not in the WWE or the universal title picture now. And we're just going to be like, all right, can you like, we get what you're trying to do, but can you just nudge him back in that direction, please? Well, well, look, it's been over a year since he's had the title, since he relinquished it. And I could be wrong, but I don't think he's even had a title match. No. And I love it. I, I honestly love it. Um, so, Which, again, leads me to believe that he is the one for Bray yes. at WrestleMania because the yeah. story isn't just their past. The story is Roman telling the Fiend, you have what's mine. Right. And it, yes, there is a hole in that logic because we could say, why hasn't Roman gone to every other universe and say, hey, that's mine. But still, there is it's there for him to tell the fiend. I gave well, the no one sorry. beat me for that. It's mine. Despite the stupid superstar shakeup, he was on a different brand. So I mean, kind of. So there's kind of some reason, but I, we're on the same page though. Um Really looking at uh, SmackDown, the Sasha Banks Bailey stuff. I didn't think I'd like it. I, I felt for a long time that 
Bailey had been overshadowing Sasha Banks since her return and since they teamed up again. I think I don't think they're fixing it necessarily, but they've given um, Banks the opportunity to step in front a little bit, and I really like that they've done that. She deserves that star build, and she probably yeah. should be in a, a Mania match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. So I hope that happens. I don't know how they get there, but I do hope that happens. Um, and the Otis stuff with Mandy Rose, you know, I thought it was good. Um, I I am a little surprised that Mandy is a face here and that it seems like they're trying to make it like she has some interest. Um, I don't mind Ziggler being that total huge heel because he plays that character well, but it just seems like with Dolph Ziggler, man, anytime they just need a plug and play dude, it's just him. And it doesn't that's, matter. That's if where it the makes problem sense. is. That's where my small issue is. It was just, like why him? They couldn't have found why. Why is he there? Like what? I was like, why are you? Why? Be, but again, they're so long. No, uh, but swinging back to the first segment you mentioned, I'll tell you what: a little, a little shaky on the mic during the moment of bliss segment. But man, I gotta tell you, Lacey Evans is a baby face. It's mm. not what I expected, and I mean that in a positive way. She's she's kind of killing it. Yeah. Like she's yeah. kind of coming across really well. I, just being honest, she's not for me. I'm a um, fan. I think she's improving in the ring, which is great, and I think her character work is fine. I, I understand people like her. I, there's no hate. What I think would help she's, is she's just she's just not for me. If I mean, they're doing it on TV, but I, I really think throw together some vignettes with her and her family, sort of akin to what we saw. On the 24 special or what Chronicle, whichever one it was on the network with her and Natty in Saudi Arabia, making her look like super mom, throw a couple of those together. You, you really got, I think she's doing really well. I, I, I'm excited to see her progression week after week. Yeah. I think they would be um, better served by telling her story more in vignettes, like you're saying, than just have her come out and say, honey, I'm a veteran. And it's just like, great, but we don't know. Like, you can tell us that, but we don't actually know. So if they introduce her, reintroduce her with some seconds or her being a mother, kind of like what they did with Kushida on NXT, something like that, just a single vignette, just like that, it would totally help get her over as a face. But for me, they just haven't done enough. They really haven't done enough other than having Sasha Banks and Bailey, you know, make fun of her daughter or or give her a hard time. They haven't really done anything to make me care about her as a face at all. And people sometimes crap on vignettes. Vignettes still work if done correctly. Remember, this might seem flawed, but remember the NXT vignettes with Roddy and his family? The problem was Roderick Strong sucks as a baby face. Roderick Strong is perfect at everything else, but but those vignettes... Like before he got in front of the in the ring in front of the those vignettes were like, oh, that had people behind him. But then we all remembered, hey, this is Roderick Strong. He really sucks as a baby face. <laughs> no, but it's, they it's they work point. if done correctly. And no. if you hit if you hit the right if you hit the right heartstrings, they're gonna work for people. And I think Lacey could benefit from something no, like that. They were they were working for Liv, Liv Morgan. I mean, th- until they yeah. didn't we don't know yeah. what's gonna happen, obviously, but they were working. I was like, you know what? This hey. isn't the character I thought that she would be, but I'm curious. Yeah, like there's some people I still I still see or hear that oh so 80s. It's like no, it still works in today's. The vignettes will always work if done correctly. Absolutely. All right. So uh, that's Raw and SmackDown. As Jack said earlier, NXT was mostly a you know dark match type of show, but it was really good. So if you did not watch NXT, you definitely should. Um, Austin Theory, baby. 
Austin Theory was on there. Great match with Roderick Strong. You're looking at, you know, the future of WWE and Austin Theory. Uh, just really good show top top to bottom. There was a, it was a, what was it, Keith Lee, Leo Rush tag team match? Like, that should, they should be a tag team. No joke. Oh, I tell, I tell you, wait till you see those two wrestle each other, man. It was incredible. I want, yeah, I want to see that too. Oh, it's so awesome when they wrestle yeah. each other. No, th- that was really, really awesome. So something that needs to happen with those two guys, but that's NXT. AEW is off. So we're going to pause on that. The only thing to say about AEW is, um, the records reset on January 1st. So yeah, well. m- my take, my take quickly and very quick one, one take Charlie's here. Uh, my take on the record situation is, uh, I don't like it. I think it sucks. Um, it's somewhat meaningless when people that are like two and O get title shots just cause they have two wins. I know the company's only been around for a couple months. You have to give people title shots, but I'm going to be curious to see what things look like in August, um, for the 2020 season for AEW. Maybe they will make it work. Maybe this was a trial ground to see how to make these work. Um, but when everyone's like four and three and then they just win a match and get a title shot after that. It's the same thing as a number one contendership match. It, there's really no difference other than you're putting numbers on the screen to make it feel like sports. So that's my take on it. Do you have one? No, I, but I have a different take on AEW. Since, sure. since we have no, since we have no show to talk about, guys, listen. Enough is enough with the independent stuff. You yeah. screwed up royally by having Chris Statlander not be able to appear like this. This woman you're pumping up for earned an AEW title shot comes in, sets the world on fire, and you have to tell people. Oh, she can't be on that January 1st show we're pumping because she has to go work for Joey Ryan's bar wrestling. And you didn't this know that? This shit's got to stop. And, and how did they not know that when they booked it? They could have they could have had her win the match stop. and said she's going to get the opportunity on, on January 8th. Then, That's a few it. weeks ago, sticking with Statlander, she, she appears on Powerbomb TV on Uncharted Territory, which is live every Thursday, an independent wrestling show. Very good. She loses. She's booked to lose. Your national, your national TV star, Chris Statlander, went to a rinky-dink podunk show that was streaming live, and a lot of people watch Uncharted Territory, and lost cleanly. Look, I know you're trying. Like, the, a, I understand you're trying to please everyone. Yeah. Guess what? You can't please everyone. Yeah. Stop with this independent booking stuff. Put these people under contract. I know you don't want to be WWE, but in this instance. You have to be WWE or this crap's going to happen. You're a major company. Imagine if uh, you're the NBA and you allow your your players to go play baseball, right? And and it, like imagine if the Bulls allowed Jordan while he was under contract. And I actually may be getting this wrong, uh, but I think he was off contract at the time. But just let's just say imagine if they allowed him to go play baseball and make a mockery of himself, which he actually yeah. wasn't th- that bad in the minors. But that's that's another story for another day. Um and it's like this guy who's your biggest star looks like total crap playing another sport and you're losing marketability on this guy. And the difference is that's real life. This is storyline television where you have control over what these people do and don't do. So I just thought it was very bad planning. Um, if you want to make her the number one contender, you don't have to wait. You can do that. But say, hey, this match is going to happen during our January 8th show. Yeah. And that's the story, and no one cares, and no, there's no issue. But if but if you're going to allow your talent to take independent bookings, and and you're going to let all these things happen, then yeah. you need to speak to them yeah. at a minimum. What is on your schedule? Do you yeah. know if you're winning or losing before you do these things? And the truth is that by having this be an option, you're creating problems for yourself. See, AEW's this- biggest obstacle to date has been itself. Here's the difference between me and Tony Khan. 
because here is what I would do. Like Tony Khan came out, he's like, prior booking commitments, you know, basically said, I'm not Vince McMahon. They can honor their commitments. And I would have flown right to Joey Ryan out to LA and bar wrestling and said, all right, how much money do you want? You're not getting her. I'll pay you for her, for, you know, you're losing her services. And I'll throw in a little interest, maybe. Why How much do you want? You're not getting her. Let me ask you, why couldn't they just ask Britt Baker to replace her? As an example. I don't know. But yeah, I would have. I would have. Like, say, hey, I look, I hey, look I'm I sorry. Hey, look, I'm sorry. There's a booking here. I know she's popular. This person's also popular. Can you do us a favor, Joe? You do a trade. Like, if you want to be like yeah. that, yeah, that's, that's you what, do and, a trade. And, and by the way, that's what WWE often does. Like, especially when they had NXT guys that were on those contracts where they could work both for that period of time, which I don't really think they do much longer, but when they needed someone and they're like, man, we have to have them at tapings. They sent like Cedric Alexander, or they sent like someone of value that would draw for that other place, or was at least a big name where you could say they're on WWE TV. This has been pretty standard. So again, AEW, their biggest mistakes are self-inflicted and it's up to them to fix them. But Thank you. We're going to move off all this. Two more things to talk about before we get out of here. The first, NJPW, Wrestle yeah. Kingdom 14. Uh, biggest event of the year. Uh, I think I speak for all three of us, although BC's not here. We love New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's arguably, and I think NXT is the best, but arguably the best wrestling in the world, uh, shot for shot. Um, they have the best wrestlers in the world. That I won't argue. Um, you know, man by man, especially in the the main event and, and mid-card sections of their roster. Um, but this is their biggest event of the year, and we go into this, and we've talked about it on the show many times uh, over the last year, not with lower expectations. I think we all expect this to be a great show, but with lower interest, and it's not lower interest because the product's gotten bad or because of really anything other than American wrestling, thanks to NXT, and it, more importantly, AEW, has taken up so much of our time that outside of the G1, Dominion, and Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm speaking for you, I know you've seen more than I have, Jack, but outside of those three major events, I think the average hardcore American wrestling fan isn't able to watch much more than that if they are consuming main roster WWE, NXT, and AEW. And because of that, we go into this event with, and I'll speak for myself here, I know the storylines, okay? I understand we have four main matches on the main card for day one, and they're doing this over a two-day period um, with winners facing winners, losers facing losers, and a couple other matches sprinkled in during night two. But my anticipation and excitement uh, for the storyline aspect of this show is very low. My anticipation and excitement for the match quality aspect of this show is very, very high. So... Do you kind of share those sentiments with me? Because no, see, to me, the storyline, it's simple. Like this is the highest for me it's ever been. And for a lot of other people. And it really just centers around one story. Are you gonna give us the Naito make good? That's the story here that that's encompassing right. a whole two nights. Now there is a chance, hopefully not, that that storyline ends in night one. But I this, the encompassing story here around all these matches, around everything that's going on, is are you going to make good on your really big screw-up from yes. two years ago? Yes. Are you going to do that or not? I think they are. I mean, I know we're not doing prediction. We'll do prediction. I think they, I think well, we they know, are. We can, no, we can talk. No I, th- I mean, I th- no, I think uh, January 5th, he's holding both belts. 
See, I, I think um, it's I think it's very very possible, and it is if I was booking, uh, what I would do because you're right, they did screw it up so massively <laughs> by not having him win the title two years ago when everyone, even Okada fans, wanted Naito to win, <laughs> and they just refused to let it happen because Gato and his obsession oh, with Okada. Um, but at the same time, I think there is just as much interest in Kota Ibushi finally grabbing, for lack of a better term, the brass ring and winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship that has eluded him in storyline, but in real life as a non-contracted guy who just recently signed a contract with NJPW earlier this year, uh, they wouldn't book him. You know, they wouldn't give him that because because of that. So do do they do that? Do they take Kota Ibushi and say, hey, we recognize that you are truly the future. Okada is too. These guys are all young or young enough, right? But Abushi is that one guy who appeals to everyone. Even people that like think Okada gets pushed too hard, they're like, man, but Abushi, this might be the best wrestler in the world, you know? Um, so my question is, what do we get? Do we get Jay White Okada 2? And to explain what we're talking about, I'm sorry, because for those that listen but are very, very, very casual, the winner of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match between Okada and Ibushi will face the winner of the IWGP Intercontinental Championship match between Jay White, who goes in as champion, and Tetsuya Naito. And the losers of those two matches will also face off. So now that that is explained, uh, do we get Naito walking out with both titles, maybe even trashing the IC title as he has in the past (laughs) for the Heavyweight Championship? Do we get Ibushi in the crowning moment going over Okada in the main event of night one? only to lose to Naito? Or do they just go full Gato on us and have another Jay White, Okada, both retain the titles, they square off again, and you have another Naito-Ibushi match, which we have seen a million times? That would be the worst-case scenario. Any other combination of the four would excite me. Uh, You know what? (laughs) Because you can see them doing that, right? You can see Gato doing that. I get well, you see Gato doing a lot. I've got to watch that man. So you can see him doing a lot of shit. That just make sure to go. What? What are you? What's this? What, is, what, what kind of drugs is this man on? Yeah. No, I th- I think it's I think it's gonna be it, it's gonna be Naito. But man, it scares the crap out of people because they hate Jay White so much. They hate the knife pervert. Hate him. And Gato just he loves him. Loves Do you him. think? Do you think Ibushi beats Okada, though? So do you think Naito yes. beats White and then beats Ibushi or beats yes. Okada? No, be, uh, Naito beats Ibushi. That's, how, that's where I'm leaning to. I think Naito yeah. beats Ibushi. Um, you know, night one, we're going to get Ibushi going over Okada. He's going to get his time as IWG. Because you know what? It's all his time. His time. He's going to get so, 24 hours. Yeah, but it's so, <laughs> so, 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 so Kota Ibushi to be champion for 24 hours. Fine. It is yeah. so Kota Ibushi. And, and, you know, like that wacky, zany personality. I, I'd love to see him do vignettes. He was like, yeah, I was champion for a day. <laughs> just, just for one day. Like, it, and, it, and it does. And to be fair, it does set up a potential rematch at Dominion, which is in June. Yeah. Um, so it does set up, you know, I don't know what they're going to do if Naito is double champion or if anyone is double champion. My assumption is they would relinquish one of the titles. That's my guess, meaning the IC title. That's, that's um, what's interesting here. Because then you can do a tournament for the IC title, and you can have uh, Abushi say, "Hey, like I'm not going to even enter the tournament 
as an example, I'm solely focused on getting the heavyweight championship back from Naito at Dominion. So that is the storyline for me. I don't know what would happen with Okada, though obviously you can give him a win over Jay White on night two to give him a little bounce back. Um, but if I'm booking it, and I kind of think sometimes Gato's along the same wavelengths of, of fans, except for two years ago when he didn't have Naito win, um, I kind of think that is the direction that we're going for those matches. Now, those are not the only matches, Jack, because we have Osprey defending the junior heavyweight title against Takahashi. I think he retains, yes or no? Yeah, I think he retains. I know that myself, correct? He retains. Okay, I think so too. And then the IWGP United States Championship match, this is on night one, in a Texas death match, which has never happened in New Japan before. Uh, Lance Archer, the U.S. champion, defending against John Moxley. Only way to win the match is by a 10-count knockout or submission. I legitimately don't know what's going to happen here. And here's why. Moxley we believe was booked to lose the U.S. title to Juice Robinson at the event at the event he missed. And ultimately Lance Archer became champion. Uh, Lance Archer had a full rejuvenation in the G1 and is a guy who I used to think was like a waste of space is now someone I actually want to watch Moxley or no Moxley. So so I'm really excited in this about this match, but I'm so conflicted on the relationship with New Japan and AEW. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more yeah. when we talk about night two. Um, but not just that relationship, but what Gato is willing to do with guys like Moxley and Jericho, who are not New Japan guys, who will not be primarily on these tours. Um, he has shown in the last two years that he is willing to throw titles on guys and put people in big matches that are nowhere to be seen day to day or week to week in NJPW. So it interests me here because if you're looking at it, from what should happen, John Moxley should win the title. He's a better wrestler. He's a bigger name. He should take the title. It's a death match. It's his world. Um, it would make sense. But do they want the U.S. title held by a guy in AEW who's not going to wear it on TV and who most of the year will not be in Japan? Well, sir, and, and does AEW want one of their primary guys to hold another organization's title where the other organization is going to have times where they need him in at, for major events over the course of the year, and is that going to conflict with AEW events? Yeah, the Moxley one more so than you, because Jericho and Gato have been friends for thirty some years. So like that, more, that's, why, that's, why Jer- that's why Jericho from day one when he walked in New Japan two two years ago or whatever it was. That's why yeah he's, he's paid very very well to make those appearances. He's tri- but it's way more Moxley than Jericho. Mo- Jericho, yeah, I, know, Moxley Jericho I feel like is, I know Jericho. I feel like I know the answer. Moxley, I have no idea because there's a lot of dynamics there. Also. Uh, because of that friendship with Jericho and Gato and Jericho loves John Moxley, you know, does he talk to Gato and say, look, man, like this is a guy you can trust, trust like tr- I, this guy, you know, he's good for you. But no, I think the Texas death match is an easy way, but you have to be creative to just knock Moxley out, especially a big knock him out, do the 10 count. You can get creative and he doesn't look like a complete loser. We've seen it done many times. You can do it. I think that's, what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to win the U S title. I think Archer's going to win. But you just have to find the creative way to knock them out. That's all you have to do. Plain it simple. makes it makes sense. I mean, you, you've seen it major uh, New Japan events. That some of these guys take big bumps. Yeah, um, through and tables, you know what but, he's willing to do. Yeah. So if if that is what they do, and he takes a big bump and misses, and it knocks now, him out, I can see that. I also want people to remember this is John Moxley in the Tokyo Dome. Finally, this is John Moxley. Remember, wanted to do all that crazy nonsense with Brock Lesnar in Dallas in front of a hundred thousand people. 
Right. Now he's getting an opportunity in front of 60, 70,000 people inside a dome to do whatever the hell he wants. He might die. Yeah. Well, let's hope not. Uh, but that's, that's night one. Uh, when you move over to night two, you know, it's it's not as totally exciting. Um, I, there's Sabre Sonata for the British Heavyweight Championship. I don't really care. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, there's Oh, there's Kenta and Goto. Uh, going head to head, which storyline wise is certainly a big match. Um, it's for the never open weight championship. Kenta obviously having a resurgent year. Uh, again, I think a match that can probably go either way that isn't requiring of our time here. But I think what's interesting with the Moxley situation is that the winner, the, the U.S. champion, will end up facing Juice Robinson on night two. And this is where I think there is credence, although. We could be talking about three title changers, two of them who lose titles in 24 hours. But this is where I think there is credence for Moxley to win the title on night one, but be so beat up and destroyed by the Texas death match that, that Ju- you have yeah. Juice Robinson, who's just in a tag team match on night one, beat him for the U.S. title in the match they originally planned to have months ago in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So ultimately, Jack, at the end of day two, we already talked about our expectation for Naito to walk out with both titles. We think Ibushi is going to win the first match um, for the heavyweight championship. Um, I expect Juice Robinson, no matter who wins, to walk out with the U.S. championship. Yes, I agree. hundred uh, percent. Still think it's going to be Archer. I mean, again, I know people can say, yeah, you're no fun. Like, say I'm AEW. Like, I'll tell Moxley, you want to do a Texas death match at Wrestle Kingdom? Fine. You're only wrestling one night. Like, you're not going two nights in a row. Like, I don't understand. Like, this is this is... This is common sense. But anyway, no, I could see a scenario, though, where Moxley, they do just get the original plan out of the way. I still, But I still think it'll be Archer. But ultimately, yeah, night two, Juice Robinson has that U.S. title back. And it, good for him. I, I still I still love him. Uh, and then the last match to really talk about here is we're saving it for last on purpose. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi against Chris Jericho, which will be the co-main event uh, for night two. The main event is that double gold match that we just talked about for the heavyweight title and the IC title. Uh, so Tanahashi Jericho, legend ace in New Japan and Tanahashi against, you know, you can make an argument for one of the top five wrestlers of the decade, and and he's getting up there all time uh, in Chris Jericho, who also is the AEW world champion. Um, the stipulation that has been added to this match is that if Tanahashi wins, he will get a title shot for the AEW championship. It is my belief, Jack, that despite what fans are working themselves into a shoot believing, this, that there is zero, zero point zero relationship between New Japan and AEW. I don't know that they will even mention the AEW title or that we will even see it on the broadcast. I think that's your indication. If you see him bring the title to the ring, I think it's like, you know what? Maybe there, maybe there's not a working relationship, but maybe there's a little bit of something, a little sprinkle, Right. I don't even think you're going to see the title. I think this is all Tanahashi and Jericho being great on social media, doing a great job, build the match. And I think they're doing it knowing that Chris Jericho is going to win. Simple as that. Yeah. Too many people are getting, I mean, credit. Hey, Chris Jericho, he's a genius. We, we, you know, we praise him at, seemingly every week on the show. He's a G that promo. He cut from the tarmac. That was a genius promo because it did was, he knew it was an easy way to goad the fans into thinking. We have a working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling because that was almost him saying, hey, if you've been watching wrestling long enough, now you know I'm going to lose to Tanahashi. 
and he's going to get up. Oh, is he going to show up at, at dynamite? Is he going to show up at revolution or triple or nothing? <laughs> triple. I, 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 uh, wow. But I'll tell you what, good kudos to them because it did it there. There was little buzz around this match as Wrestle Kingdom approached like, and Chris Jericho versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Like you're like, no, it's not the holy grail of John Cena versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Nothing will be until those two face off with each other, which I firmly believe will happen before my life is over. And if it doesn't, <laughs> pro wrestling is a failure if the two aces <laughs> never see each other in the ring. But Chris Jericho versus Hiroshi Tanahashi is about the closest we can get. But no one was really talking about it. But now, I mean, a week or so out, I mean, they took that, they turned that volume up to 11 of like, okay, now even just as much as the title matches, we want to see this, but it, it's all a ruse. It's a smoke yeah. screen. There I is think, no relationship. Yeah, I think they succeeded in their goal to juice the match. I think Jericho wins. Uh, Tanahashi gets a rematch after Jericho loses the championship, which I think is actually coming decently soon in the next two or three months. Um and then Tanahashi beats him at Dominion or something like that. Uh, it's not hard to book. Um, they treat Jericho very well. The only match he really hasn't won, I think, was Okada. I think it's like the and only even then, he, he, even then he looked good in defeat. Yeah, like they made sure yeah. he looked good. So, so they're treating they're treating Jericho like WWE treats Brock. Uh, the difference is they don't always give Jericho the title, although he did have obviously uh, the IC title for a short period of time. Um, this is how Brock should be in WWE. Major feature matches against big opponents that you want to see that have some at something at stake that's not a championship. So Look, I'm all, very I'm very excited. All BS stipulations aside and promos and whatever. What what excites me most about this match is the fact that uh we've been talking about the great work Chris Jericho does on a weekly basis for AEW. He knows he's in there with a legend in Hiroshi Tanahashi. I guarantee you this match in-ring wise is going to be fantastic because Jericho is going to push himself no disrespect to AEW even harder than he does for AEW because he knows how good Tanahashi still is at 40 some years old and he's a yeah. legend in Japan he he kept that company from death more pretty much they were yeah. about to die before Hiroshi Tanahashi blew up yeah Jericho's so, going to push himself this is going to be terrific it's going to be exciting I think Wrestle Kingdom as a whole Again, we're going into it. I'm not. I'm not trying to speak for Jack or anyone else, but I'm going into it excited because I know it's going to be good. But it, I just don't have the same feels. Although I, this kind of just got me a lot more excited than I was, to be honest with you. If but you talk about it, sometimes when you, you talk about it, 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 it does. Because because you know what? Because there's not people talking about it. You know what I mean? There's not really people. And we have to be honest. That's you know, the elite not being there anymore. It like, is. We could be it, honest it, about it. Well, no, it's, I, I, it's it's something I, I actually noted. I think six months ago or so on the show, which is. One of the reasons why New Japan got so popular in the U.S., and it's not hard to understand, was being the elite and those guys talking about it and constantly promoting it and all those guys actually being there. And the yeah. fact that they are not, NJPW never figured out another American outlet, not outlet as in like media. Well, outlet, yeah, the, the hostile a, takeover sucked, man. A way, a way to reach fans. They should have created something to fill that gap, and they didn't. And because of that, the interest overall in New Japan has tanked despite interest in the superstars, the wrestlers themselves, being very high. So very excited for Wrestle Kingdom. I think it's going to be a great show. Wrestle Kingdom 13 was our pay-per-view of the year on our award show last week. By the way, listen to that award show if you didn't. It was a really good show. Um, last thing that we can talk about here as we wrap up the final show of 2019, which is getting published like hours before the end of 2019. So it's also <laughs> that. 
it's also that and the first show of 2020 for, for most of you. Um, you know, we're not giving awards for best of the decade because I think it's almost too difficult to do that. But I want to look back on the last 10 years of professional wrestling briefly and kind of go back and forth a little bit about what we think some of the top moments and people are. When I look at wrestler of the decade, Jack, and I think you're just going to agree, agree with me right off the bat. Uh, for me, despite having a three-year absence right in the middle, I think it's Daniel Bryan. Uh, the first few years uh, of him in WWE, doing what he did, healed the face, ch- champion his his ride to winning the titles at WrestleMania, um, overcoming the obstacles that he had just being the type of guy he is in WWE, then being out three years, being a damn good general manager for a period of time when he was in that role, and then coming back. First of all, coming back at all, uh, but coming back to the fanfare, getting the matches that we wanted out of him, being a great heel WWE champion and a great foil for Kofi Kingston for an all-time moment at WrestleMania and still doing what he's doing now, even though it's not at that same level as it was a year ago at this time. I just cannot think of someone who has done more, more consistently and more to WWE's benefit than Daniel Bryan over the last 10 years. Uh, and you know, I still think uh, I say this c- consistently. It's it's appropriate right now. Daniel Bryan is probably going to go down as the greatest professional wrestler of all time. I, there's just, there, there's no doubt about that. When you everything from the indies to his massive superstardom now, but I get, I'll be the heel here. He's a one B to my one a, which is Brock Lesnar. I just, yeah. The dude comes back in 2012. Like people, like look, I understand you. People are mad that he's not around all the time. But encompass the entire decade when he came back from April 2012 until now. Big every match he's in feels like a big deal, and he's wrestled everyone from the Giants like Braun Strowman. We got a match with Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe. We got a wrestler Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles. We got a match with Brock Lesnar and Dana Bryan. He ended the Undertaker streak. WrestleMania main events. Goldberg, everything the dude does, for better or worse, just feels special. Yeah. And plus, we're we're, we're reminded at times, like like in a match with AJ Styles or a match with Daniel Bryan, that when Brock wants to turn it on, I have news for you, folks. He's still one of the best performers you'll see. I know you don't like to admit that, but he is one of the best performers. When he wants to sell, he will sell like a mother. There probably there probably is no one ever in wrestling, and presence. I'm including and I'm including Hulk, and I I I say this with Andre as well, and it's different. It's different with Andre the Giant and Brock, but where you feel an electricity and an yeah. amplitude of anything can happen right now. And I don't know what it's going to be. And I've never seen a guy who gets into the ring and is ex- as explosive as he is with the FIs, with the Germans. I think there was a period of time with Brock. The reason why I, I lean Brian over him, and I think he's a 1A to a 1B. Um, I would be fine if like we had voted and, and we named him wrestler of the decade. He got into a period of time where every match, especially with the Cena era, was 17 German suplexes. And it, it, it's not that it was bad. They were telling a story, but it just got very repetitive. Brock, in general, got very repetitive. And him not being there for such 
large swaths of time. And his booking with Roman Reigns, the stop and start again, and is he going to lose the title? Is he not? There was so much that happened surrounding Brock that contributed to WWE being bad at times that I think it, not that it overshadowed the greatness, but it reduced it. It, it poured a little bit of cold water on it and made, made it where every time Brock Lesnar's on your screen, it should be special. But so many times when Brock Lesnar was on your screen, you didn't want him in kayfabe to be there. Not because he's a heel, but because he's just going to crush this guy. Oh, another thing with Roman Reigns. Another guy he's just going to squash. It, it just it got very, very repetitive with him. Where Daniel Bryan, everything felt fresh and new. It felt like he was rebelling against authority, which he was somewhat in real life, more so in storyline. And he, Daniel Bryan, I feel like changed WWE and allowed guys, even though he's not on the main roster, like Adam Cole, like Seth Rollins, like Finn Balor, to succeed. WWE made Finn Balor the first ever Universal Champion. It didn't work because he got hurt, but they chose him. They didn't choose, you know, a 6'7", 350-pound dude. There is a uh, openness in WWE now for guys like this, Ali on SmackDown, to succeed where there wasn't before. And I don't know that WWE makes that transition as quick as it does without Daniel Bryan succeeding to the level that he did. Well, no, absolutely not for the, for those small. And, and it, we're all better off for it. And the product is better off for it. I just, I cut like this. I, I like just a, a mass superstar like Brock. And plus the transition back to the UFC. Did, I mean, yeah, didn't really end well with the failed drug test, but I mean, to transition back into the mixed martial arts for at least one fight and then flirt with it a few more times. And it's just his, his superstardom just supersedes everything else that I, I, I never jumped on the bandwagon of people who were against the guy. I never, never once did that. Never with the, Oh, this guy, I'm like, look, this place is going to be worse off if this guy leaves. Yeah. He's, he's gotta be here when he is here. He's gotta be here. But yeah, no, but Dan, right. I don't think you could go wrong with Daniel Bryan or Brock Lesnar as far as, far as like the 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 decade. What what, well, what would you say? So getting off of that, what would you say your match of the decade was? And I know without, that's very, very without, without question, CM Punk and John Cena and Bunny of the Bank 2011. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I know. Like a lot of people, and people I, I, I know I give some answers sometimes that because I'm such an indie nerd and history nerd and then people like, oh. It, no, because it, it was the perfect storm of everything like we, and stuff we've never seen before. Here was a guy who legitimately did not sign his contract. And there were reports that, hey, they might have to slap the WWE title on him. You're like, Vince is not going to do that if this guy didn't put pen to paper. Not going to do. No, he might. He's thinking about it because Punk, the pipe bomb blew up. It's a, well, wait a minute. John Cena, probably the most polarizing figure in the history of professional wrestling. You could say he, he's, he's up there at the very least. And they come together in punk's hometown of Chicago, Illinois. And I have to this day, I've like those CM punk chants were the loudest chants I've ever heard before a match even started. Not mm-hmm. guys in the ring before, as soon as that, the priest, the co-main event was over. They started CM punk, CM punk. And it just got louder and louder. And the build 
winning the title, kiss walking off in front of Vince's face. It was everything professional wrestling should be. Not to mention a five star match. Yeah, it was it was great. I would probably agree with you. I'd probably agree with you that it's WWE's match of the decade, or it's at least again one that meant the most. Um but and this is probably gonna surprise everyone because this is probably the opposite of how people thought this would go. But my match of the decade is the greatest match I've ever seen, which was Okada Omega 4. <laughs> um, simply put, they paid off a trilogy with a fourth match that was better than any of the matches that preceded it, maybe with the exception of the first one. BC says that's his favorite match of the year or favorite match um, probably of the decade, I think, is, is where he leans. Um, but the fourth match, the callbacks, the action, the false finishes – it, the build and the interest level national, internationally, um, American fans tuned into that match more than probably any other New Japan match in history. Uh, and as someone who was really into and getting more into NJPW at that time, it felt like the apex of professional yeah. wrestling. And it was. Um, you know, Meltzer gave it seven stars. Uh, we did an, like a semi-instant analysis coming out of that. And I didn't even know what he was going to do. But knowing what we had graded everything else. And I was talking to BC about it at the time. I was like, Brian, like, I don't know how you put this on a scale. I said, so we've already had six and 6.25 and all, the, all this crap. Right. I'm like, if anything has to be a seven star match, if you're going to go there, this is what it has to be. And then I think two or three days later, Dave, you know, obviously said that that was his star rating. Not that he's the end all be all, but if you're talking about a guy who's done them forever, uh, if there's he's a resource, a good resource for that. Uh, but greatest match I've ever seen, and because not 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 my favorite match I've ever seen. There's differences, right? Um, I prefer so many other matches to that in terms of rewatchability. Uh, you know, Taker and Sean, HBK and Flair, Punk and Cena. You know, others, many many others, Austin and uh, Austin and Bret Hart, etc. Um, but if you're talking about what was the greatest match of the decade for me, it's Definitely that one. And then when we go into moment of the decade, which I think is probably what we can wrap up, I almost feel like there's too many to actually name one. Um, But I will say earlier in the show, we mentioned the Mark Henry, John Cena, Salmon Jacket segment. (laughs) And I'm not going to say it was the greatest moment of the decade. It wasn't. But there are so few things in life or in professional wrestling that stick out and hold parts of your mind. And three of them that immediately come to mind are that Salmon Jacket promo, which I have never, I don't think I've ever sat on my couch and been more shocked that something happened in wrestling than just seeing that transpire. I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack that immediately from saying it in a non-match setting, in a promo (laughs) type of setting. The other moment, which I think might actually be the real moment of the decade is Brock Lesnar ending the Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania. That was a true shocker. It was, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that. And then as it's unfolding, the realization of, well, if they were ever going to do it, they probably had to do it here. You know, those happening at the same time. And then along with those two, I think it's a top five mania moment all time for me. Kofi winning the title this past year at WrestleMania. Those three moments will stand out to me forever as things that happened in professional wrestling that I just won't forget that when someone says like, hey, why do you like wrestling? 
it's like, well, I want to put these things on and show you. And those just pop right out to me from 2010s. You st- you took one you took one for me. I mean, because but Brock Lesnar ended the Undertaker streak. How can you not have that at the top or at least number two on your list? I mean, the the stunned silence from that crowd yeah. still sticks out in my mind. Like there, you could hear like people say, "Oh, you could hear a pin drop." It's an exaggeration. This wasn't when that referee counted three. That place went dead silent. That has to be the moment of the decade, right? Like, it, I, that's why I said it, it, it's hard. What else to is there? It's just because we we and plus we had reached a point where we didn't think that streak was ever going to end, right? We were convinced. We're like, all right, it's never going to. Now we it's just one, a matter we were of wondering. For him we to were retire. we were wondering why they were doing that match at Mania because of course the Undertaker is going to win and you don't want Lesnar to lose. So what are they doing here? How how are they going to do it? That was our you know. Another one for me, and not so not so much for like marquee professional wrestling reasons, but January first, twenty nineteen, the announcement of All Elite Wrestling. I do say that because it's it has helped project us into a new decade where the pro wrestling landscape is changing and evolving. I mean, for the 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 workers in particular, look at the five year contracts that are being handed out. I, I'm gonna pause you. I'm gonna pause you right here. If we were talking developments of the decade, I think that's there. But a announcement, but no, but but an announcement on January first that was leaked previously, that was teased, and everyone knew what it was going to be. That's not a moment of the decade. If you want to say I, that, if you want to say that that was an important milestone, I'm okay with that. But in terms of wrestling moment, when you're comparing the announcement of All Elite Wrestling to The Undertaker losing or to Kofi winning the title, it is or a major promotion. The CM Punk thing or Daniel Bryan winning two titles. Yeah. A major promotion on national yeah. television that completely changed everything heading into a new decade. Yeah, it's it's just not a it's not I don't consider that a moment. That's your opinion. That, that's, and that's I know fine. I know. We're, well, we're we're discussing it. I I don't I don't. Yeah, no, that for me. Find now, it, where, I, don't where, find where, it, I don't find it to meet the criteria. Is now the, where is it goes I mean. into the now where where that moment? But because that, no, I'm not saying like the moment like the being the elite episode. It's just when that was when that it became official. On January first, that here is the new competition, and we get the we're going to get the national TV deal and all this and the pay per views, and it just felt it's something we never thought we were going to have again. I, I I give you credence on that; it was big. I'm I'm with you, but I think when you're saying that it, there wasn't an episode or a thing, that's what a moment is. A moment is something that happens in that in peri- short period of time, hour, you know, five minutes, whatever the case. That is the most memorable thing. So I, I'm, I'm I'm totally with you, and I'm not trying to nitpick. I promise. I, I agree that it, it is a milestone moment of this decade. Maybe not for me, not number one, but it's there, and it's certainly top five. It's very important. But I think when you're talking about moments, things that capture your imagination as a wrestling fan, things that that transcend maybe just the actual sports entertainment of professional wrestling. To me, an announcement of a company doesn't. Meet that criteria. I respect that, that. That's all I'm saying. So that, I, I, I certainly respect that. So on the way out here, um, we since this is a Silver King and Blackjack show, and BC is not here, um, I want to end the decade of State of Combat, <laughs> which has only been really two years, um, with a fan request. They, I got a bunch of tweets this past week that people love when we argue about food. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I, I don't exactly know why, but. 
I don't also know what we can argue about. So you're showing me a Wendy's cup on screen. I would love to tell you I have an issue with Wendy's. I don't. Wendy's is great. And I, the last thing I want to do is criticize them and get roasted by their social media. So that's not going <laughs> to happen. I have no issue with, I have no issue with Wendy's. Um, but I don't know what we can really argue about. Do you have a New Year's Eve food that you love? Uh, well, what do you want? Is there, I, I can even, we can even talk condiments if you want. We need to no, have, we, we need, we need to end the show with something that will please the fans here. Yeah. Because New Year's Eve in a little bit here, I go to my wife and I go to my parents and we have crab cakes. My mother makes crab cakes. That's funny. Every, every New Year's Eve. That's the, 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 that's our thing. So I growing up, and not anymore. Obviously, I don't live at home, and I don't necessarily live very close to my mom. Every year for either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, depending whether I went out to drink or not or I came home, my mom would make king crab legs fresh. Oh, um, we'd crack them, butter sauce, draw, drawn butter, I should say, bread, um, vegetables, potatoes, asparagus, etc. It, it's a New Year's staple and for da- me. And down there, you get the fresh stuff. Fresh king crab. Well, fresh king crab's Alaskan. Well, king crab's Alaskan, so it's it is fresh, but it's fresh frozen. Down here, we get stone crab. That's the real. Yeah, okay. okay. But but king, you know, king crab is still from Alaska, but um, it's very very high quality, and it has just been my staple New Year's food. So it's very very funny that it's both types of crab here. Although I, you know, I'm not gonna king crab superior. Let's be honest. But no, crab cakes are great. But it is funny that it's very similar. Um, another yeah. staple I have is. Pigs and blankets. Um, also very good. It is a big, it is a very big New Year's Eve thing that whenever I'm at a party that is not a party party, so not a all drinking party, I guess is what I'm saying. When it's, hey, people bring food or whatever, yeah. I, I usually make from scratch pigs and blankets, uh, hot dogs rolled in. And folks, if you're listening to this, <laughs> not puff pastry, not pretzel, not pizza dough, croissants. That's the real pigs in blanket. Uh, yeah. I make I make them by hand, bring them over to a house if I'm going to a party like that. And actually, as soon as we get off, that's what I'm going to go do. So I don't think we necessarily had an argument, but um, those are some New Year's no, Eve. No, but it's fun to talk days. about that, yeah. that stuff. No, no arguments. Yeah, just the, just the crab cakes. And I mean, even tonight, I'm 35 years old. I'm married. We got a lot of work tomorrow, like the industry we work in. I don't really drink tonight. I might have two or two. I can't be hungover or anything tomorrow. No, like, no. Not we're New Year's Day, loaded so. with works, so like I don't really drink that much anymore on New Year's Eve. Maybe a couple. Yeah, well, uh, with that, you know, we planned on, as we do most weeks, a 60, 75-minute show. And here we are, a two-hour end of 2019, uh, Raw, SmackDown, Wrestle Kingdom, um, Decade Awards, for lack of a better term, and New Year's Take wrap-up. Uh, so listen, folks, you know, year's coming to an end, certainly – on behalf of BC, I, I want to say I appreciate everyone listening to this show. Um, as I've said many times, you know, not ever something I thought I would do, be a podcaster, talk about professional wrestling on this level, uh, but certainly thankful for the opportunity. Uh, thrilled to be in the hosting chair again today with Jack to, to bring you our takes on the world of professional wrestling. As I did note, BC is legitimately under the weather, so if you guys want to tweet him a get well, I'm sure he would appreciate it. He is not going to be mobile for the next couple of days. I will it's going to be a bit. I will leave it at that, and it's all his fault, so we can also <laughs> leave it at that. Um, but, but beyond those, uh, I hope everyone has a very happy new year. Enjoy the New Year's Day games. Uh, and please be with us next week where we talk what should be an exciting New Year's Day episode of uh, AEW Dynamite. Uh, looks like NXT will be doing some year-end awards, so do not expect that to be 
a big time head to head show. Uh, and we should also have, of course, uh, Wrestle Kingdom, SmackDown, and Raw. All to talk about next week. It's going nice. to be a loaded show. So, for Jack Crosby, this is the Silver King. And you know how we leave this show with two words for you. We out.